Hello, welcome back to another episode of Psychology Concepts Explained. This is your host, Dr. Jack Chuang, and I'm an online psychology professor, so thank you for joining me today. If you're joining me for the first time and you're studying in a psychology course like Introduction to Psychology or Lifespan Psychology, I encourage you to look through my podcast channel for many uh, lectures over the course of what you would expect in terms of lectures that relate to both of those courses. And my podcasts that are not directly a course-related lecture, where it's labeled Chapter 1, Chapter 2, then typically what I've been doing since the year began, 2021, is that I've chosen a topic of the day to talk about. Oftentimes it's about current events, world events, um, what's going on in my mind, and so forth. And right now I've fallen into a nice little... I guess, routine where I'm posting once a week, dropping one podcast episode a week. So I'm hoping to shoot for Mondays. That's a huge commitment to say that out loud. And I'm also going to try to, uh, what am I trying to say? Just try to be consistent in posting these episodes. And in addition to this routine, I, I enjoy just shooting the breeze a little bit for the first 10 minutes or so in every episode. And then you'll see a timestamp in the description where the topic of the day will be uh, discussed after a very brief break. Okay, so what's happening? I am. I wish you could see this setup right now. Um, I have my iPad Pro 2017 hooked up to a microphone made by Samsung. It's called the Q9U. It's it's a USB dynamic microphone, and the reason I chose this microphone is that supposedly dynamic microphones have a uh, sound pattern where it's very much concentrated up close. So it tends to reduce surrounding miscellaneous sounds. So that's what I'm hoping for because I'm in the back of a camper van at a Texas state park right now. So I have a wonderful view. The windows are cracked open, but I have the rear doors closed just to reduce the wind noise because it's very windy outside. So... I'm thinking that you may not even notice if I did not say that I was recording in the back of a camper van at a campsite. Luckily, there's no one here. We like to camp during the week when there's very few people camping, where the rest of society chooses to go camping on the weekends, or maybe they don't have much of a choice. That's when they have time off. So my work really affords me a tremendous amount of flexibility being an online-only instructor to really travel as well as... uh, dictate my own work schedule in terms of and location of where I want to work. I think during the pandemic, my sister, who works as a computer programmer for a software company, it was interesting because she, you know, switched to work remotely from home, from her apartment. And then she realized, hey, you know what? I, I can really work from anywhere. I was like, yeah, that's what I've been doing for the past 10 years or so. <laughs> so she finally kind of clicked. So yeah, so this is my current setup. We have a mobile hotspot um, called the Moxie. None of this is advertising, okay? It's just what I'm using. I have a little cup of hot tea that my wife made me. Thank you, honey. I appreciate it very much. And uh, this will help save my voice. I have a Bluetooth keyboard. I have my phone that I've forgotten to push the button for to transcribe my recording. So I guess I'll start about now. <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm not really all with it. I have to tell you, though, uh, this camper van has really been stressing me out. So I'm doing a little confession for you guys. It's, it's a 25-year-old made by a company called Road Trek on a Chevrolet G30 cargo van chassis. So this is made by, you know, kind of like a Winnebago type. Um, that's a, I figure that's a more well-known uh, RV brand. And so it's built from the factory. They take a let's say for this example, a 94 Chevy van, they take it to the factory at Road Trek in Canada and they do all sorts of things with it to customize to make it an RV. So it has everything you expect in a large trailer or RV. It has a toilet, has plumbing, has a sink, has a water pump. It even has propane gas uh, stovetop built in and a propane heater for cold evenings, has all sorts of lighting inside, has a thermostat for that heater as a ceiling exhaust fan. Uh, a lot of people call them Fantastic Fans because that's the brand name. I'm not sure what the brand name for this is. And for a 25-year-old design, I think it's quite amazing that, yeah, it's, it's, it's heavy and clunky and the doors require a lot of force to close. But uh, the interior modifications in terms of what it can accommodate is amazing for what they did with the space. I think it, it's really quite nice. There's even a shower so the main floor is actually a shower floor. So if I were to use the handheld shower and then a shower curtain comes out and surrounds this whole middle area, and then there's a shower drain in the middle, right? But we don't use the shower here. Um, and then the front, there are four seat belted seats that convert into two single beds. And then there's a double bed that um, can also act as two benches and a table, which is where I'm sitting now. So I have the rear view, and we have two side doors, rear doors that open out. And so I know from the outside, people who don't know about these vans and these RVs think, oh, that's an old clunker limping down the freeway. But they don't know that this is quite an exclusive kind of uh, enthusiast club. You have people of all income levels who use these vans, and some people live out of these. And just don't judge a book by its cover, okay? So if you see a road trek, just know that, oh, okay, yeah, Dr. Truong mentioned that, and I saw one on the road. Okay, so now my wife is looking at me through the window, wondering if I'm recording. And yes, I am. I'm recording. Thank you. Okay, I'm not going to edit that out. I, I never edit out my recordings. So anyway, so that's what I'm doing. And, and just to follow up also on the technology side, I think last time I talked about how, I'm not sure if I did talk about it. I think I did that my dad handed me down his Samsung Galaxy watch that we gave him as a gift. Uh, he wants something a little bit more lighter and smaller. So I've been tinkering with it and I kind of like it. I like, I know this is kind of old news for most of you who use Fitbits and all that, but I like having that hourly reminder to just say, hey, you want to get up and go for a walk, do a little stretching and all that. Uh, the heart rate monitor is nice. The little stress management indicator. I'm not really sure what they're measuring, but it seems really accurate in terms of reflecting how I might feel at the moment if I gave myself a 1 to 10 stress scale, then once it measures it within 20 seconds and gives me a readout on like a dial from green to red zone, it tends to reflect what I'm actually thinking in terms of my self-rating. Oh, and lastly, before we take a break and start my subject of the day, uh, last week I talked about how I started a Discord server. That's the official name. And within that server, there are various channels. See, I'm getting the lingo right. And I have a core group of five right now who are almost like my team. <laughs> so thank you, team. 
Yeah, this is uh, I'm raising my tea glass to you as a as a toast that uh, they're very involved and very active, and I really enjoy it quite right now. Even if we don't have any more new members from now till the end of the year, I still can enjoy my group of five where we can discuss podcast strategy topics and answer some questions that we have for one another. So I have one uh, person who, one, I'll call them members, who is uh, Trenton. You're in Southern California, I believe, if I remember correctly. Then I have another member, I'm forgetting names already, in the Plano, Dallas area, right? And, and then another person from India. And I don't know who I'm leaving out right now. But in any case, I have my core group of three or four or five that are very active in there. So please join in. Um, what I had planned and envisioned for this group was that for, I know a lot of my listeners are studying psychology at the high school and college level, so feel free to join in, maybe use it as a study group or ask questions. And, you know, if you want me to do a podcast over a specific topic, you know, that's a great place to offer those kinds of suggestions. I have a general discussion channel where we just talk about anything related to the podcast. And also, I have one that's the students channel. So it's not just for undergrads, but also graduate students. If you want to have, if I get enough of you guys studying for a master's or a PhD and you want to have a little cohort, I can create a separate channel for you guys to talk about graduate school uh, and have a little bit of a, you know, emotional social support system for you guys. Uh, especially if you're working on your dissertation or thesis and you're kind of stuck, then I believe a support group for that can be quite helpful. And I have a podcast previously, if you look through my channel, about how to get through being an all-but-dissertation phase of your graduate school life. Okay? So whatever, you know, the the, the Discord channel thing, I, you know, it's very flexible. It's whatever we can come up with, then we can create new channels for that and have a discussion. So feel free to drop by and say hi in that. I, I like to have one central place. I don't want to have 10 different social media sites where, hey, come see me on Instagram, come see me on Facebook, come see me on Twitter. You know, those are fine. But whatever I've listed is mainly my Twitter account. If you're a Twitter user, email. If you want to email me, uh, I have a an anonymous feedback form. You can fill that out or just come to my Discord channel for all of the above, right? So I'll be monitoring all of these going forward. And I don't mind that I don't have a, a million listeners, that kind of thing. If I have a core group of uh, listeners who enjoy what I talk about each week, I'm happy with that. And uh, if I can somehow hook up with a, an advertiser or two and make a little change on the side to feed my coffee habit, that I'll be very content. Okay? All right. I think it's a good time to take a break. I'll get rehydrated, and we'll start with our topic of the day. Hello, friends. Let me take a moment to thank BetterHelp for sponsoring our podcast. Let me talk to you a little bit about searching for happiness or trying to achieve goals. And oftentimes, life and circumstances and other reasons get in the way. So BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating with your therapist within 48 hours. And it's not a crisis hotline, okay? And it's not self-help. It's actual professional counseling, but it's done securely online. You have access to BetterHelp's network of over 20,000 counselors with a wide variety of expertise and training. 
And this is also about accessibility. If you don't have a counselor in your area to see in person, then this could be a great solution for you. So this service is available for clients worldwide, and you can log into your account at any time and send a message to your counselor. So again, accessibility. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions, so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as in traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so, and they make it easy and free if you want to change counselors if necessary. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. So visit BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com slash PsychExplained and join the over 1 million people who are taking charge of their mental health with the help of experienced mental health professionals. And there's a special offer for my Psychology Concepts Explained listeners. You can get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash PsychExplained. You can see the link in the show notes. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode of Psychology Concepts Explained. Okay, welcome back. I had a little bit of tea. Let's go ahead and begin our topic of the day. Let me open up my notes. All right, so the title of today's podcast is Be a Situationist, Not a Dispositionist. And I think unless you've studied some social psychology, you might be thinking, what in the world is this topic about today? So we're going to take a fairly shallow dive into the subject, and I want to talk about how it relates to our everyday life and why this is one of my favorite psychology concepts. I think oftentimes some of my listeners have asked me, what are your, some of your favorite psychological theories and concepts? And that really got me thinking, oh, maybe I should start making a list of the ones that float to the surface and the ones that I enjoy thinking about and apply in my own everyday life in terms of observing behavior, making sense of the world. And this, I think, has a huge impact on how we think of other people. All right, so let's start making sense of what I mean by these terms. Let's back up a little bit. In a social psychology course, if, let's say if you're taking intro to social psychology, you will encounter a section or a field of study that's focused on social cognition, right? Cognition is how we think. So this is has to do with our mental processes related to other people around us, how we think of others, how we think of ourselves, okay? And one core theory within social cognition is attribution theory. Simply put, this is how we explain other people's behavior. And we do this all the time, whether we are actively, consciously doing it or not, or monitoring our own thinking. We do this quite a bit. Uh, why did someone do that? You know, that, that it's something we process in our minds very quickly and very frequently. 
So what does the word attribution mean? To attribute means to explain something, to label a cause of behavior, right? Somebody did something, you ask, well, what do you attribute that person's behavior to? Well, I believe they acted this way because X, Y, and Z. So how we answer that X, Y, and Z, let's say you watch a news story over, let's say there's a high-speed chase on the freeway in Los Angeles, which happens about once a month, and then the person crashes their vehicle and ends up climbing a tree and gets caught by police. And that actually did happen when I was living in Los Angeles for a year during my internship. I remember that was a, a news story. That wasn't the huge news story because, you know, these things happen a lot over there. It's not a, it's a stereotype, but it's kind of true. And so I'm sure people watching that news story will start thinking to themselves or talking to the people next to them, man, what, what a what's going on with that person, you know? Are they an idiot? Why Why would they even steal a 7-Up truck, drive it for 20 blocks, crash it, and then climb up a tree? And so how we explain that driver's behavior, right, falls into two particular categories. This is what the attribution theorists have come up with. And these are the two terms that are used in our title today. So let's focus on the 7-Up truck thief and tree climber. Why did he do what he did? Well, one set of explanations or reasons that we can come up with as an observer are called dispositional explanations or reasons. A disposition is about the person, something within them. So it's their character, uh, when you say someone is an idiot, someone is crazy, those are dispositional explanations, okay? It has to do with their personality. Now, if you were to say, well, that person did this because they worked 10 years in a factory that drove him pretty much to the level of not being able to handle stress, and he snapped, and became psychotic, and therefore he did something he wouldn't normally do. You see how much more work that was? Assuming that was the case, which I just made that up, but that's called a situational explanation. Right? So if you think about your own behavior, we tend to have these kinds of explanations, right? For other people, for ourselves, they fall into these two categories. So start to monitor your thinking when you explain people's behavior. Right. On the top of our minds in our household is the military coup in the country of Myanmar or Burma. And oftentimes we're thinking about, well, what is this general thinking? What's his reason for acting this way? Right. Um, and you're going to get a lot of dispositional explanations. The person's just power hungry, he's crazy, and all that. And some people might come up with situational explanations right, for that person's behavior. Well, as it turns out, the way we explain other people's behavior falls into a particular pattern depending on the cultural environment you're in or country you're in. So that pattern in the West, in individualized cultures, individualistic cultures, where, we, where the focus is on ourselves, not so much a collective, we tend to fall into this pattern called the fundamental attribution error. Right? F-A-E, fundamental attribution error. 
So the reason it's fundamental is because we do it so often. And the reason is is an error is because we often misjudge a person because of this. And in a sense, making attributions is making a judgment, right? It's a huge difference between judging someone as an idiot versus judging someone as, oh, they suffered a mental breakdown due to their, due to their job, right? Those are two very different judgments about an individual. So the fundamental attribution error tends to happen in Western-style countries because we tend to focus on the person. So as an observer, we see someone act a certain way. It could be as simple as someone walking down the sidewalk and they trip and fall, right? Well, okay, we're not going to get into whether you're going to laugh at that person or help them. That's a whole different conversation. But if you immediately judge that person as, well, that was a clumsy act, right? That's a dispositional explanation. And those are the kinds of explanations that we in Western individualistic countries tend to make. People who live in collectivistic cultures where the focus is on the collective, the group, the family, the company, you know, these group dynamics more so than the individual, then you see some differences there. Um, so a person may think, wow, the sidewalk must not be constructed well for that person to fall, right? That's a circumstance. That's a situational explanation. It has nothing to do with the person being clumsy or uh, that person not having good balance for some reason, right? And also, it's, a, it's an error because how much do we really know about that person, right? Usually we're talking about judgments we make of strangers or people we don't know personally, but yet we're making these judgments about their character, about their mental state, you know, about uh, their personality. And oftentimes we make that kind of mistake because we don't really know them. We lack information, right? So think about your own behavior. You have full knowledge most of the time <laughs> about what you're doing, right? Um, you're rushing, driving your car down the street, maybe not really coming to complete stop at stop signs, running yellow lights because you're running late, right? Running late is a circumstance and you understand your own circumstance. But someone observing you running through these yellow lights would think, wow, that's a, that's a dangerous driver. You know, that person's a lunatic. They're crazy, right? They're careless. Right? These are all dispositional explanations. Are you a careless person, right? Not necessarily. And so I think it's interesting. I think about this a lot because um, I feel like in our current climate of talking about racism and other kinds of discrimination in our country, and that's come to the forefront, that being a dispositionist, I think, makes it a lot easier to make these kinds of judgments, specifically negative judgments of other people. And that's why I try my best to delay this instant judgment machine that we have going on inside our brains where whatever the headline might be, you're scrolling through different social media stories and headlines and all you see is the headline. And then boom, you make an instant judgment about a well-known person or just any kind of news story. And I believe what can help us as a society and as individuals is for us to slow down and try to understand the context of what is happening. 
And I believe when we do understand the context, we will make better judgments of other people, right? Wouldn't you agree with that? Okay. Think about how many stereotypes we have about various groups of people and how instantaneous they are when they come to mind, right? And a lot of these stereotypes tend to be about dispositional characteristics of people. Because if someone makes an instant judgment about me, it's obviously based on my physical characteristics, right? It's based on how I look, that I resemble someone who comes from Asia. Therefore, the person who doesn't even know me somehow feels like they have information or knows something about me that they can make a judgment on. And even though it might be positive, oh, you must be good at math, you must be an engineer, oh, you're in psychology, that was surprising. You know, those kinds of judgments, um, even though they may not be harmful or negative in that sense, they're very instant, they're dispositional, right? So I think this is my challenge to you as an individual if you're listening to this and wherever you're living, it doesn't really matter. Think about the people around you, think about how you consume information, catch yourself making these explanations of be people's behavior and put a little check mark next to a column, have a little scorecard. Are you making dispositional explanations of other people? Or are you taking time to try to find out what could possibly be the situational explanation for that person's behavior? Even just spotting someone who is has a cardboard sign says, I'm a veteran, I'm homeless, please spare some money, I'm hungry, or whatever, right? Even someone panhandling um, at the street corner, don't we make instant judgments about them? Right? And the kind of judgments we make tend to be dispositional. It just takes much more work to investigate someone's situation, to even imagine someone else's situation, and add to the fact that since they are a stranger, we have less information. But we do have information about how they look, right? We do have information about what they're wearing, what they're doing. And so we tend to focus on their dispositions and make an assumption. Oh, that person must be lazy. Why don't they get a job? They seem to be walking fine. Why, they're physically able. Why aren't they able to get a job, right? What if the reality was that they're a veteran who suffered mental illness and has lack of resources and maybe couldn't get the right benefits from the VA hospital, doesn't have extended family to stay with, has a hard time holding down employment due to their illness, and maybe the illness is a mental illness. Therefore, you cannot see it. It's invisible. And what would your judgment be then? Would it be any different? Would you still roll down the window and tell them to just get a job? Right? You're lazy. So if you think about all these stigmatized groups we have in society, um, and just people in general, we really don't know people at all. We don't know their circumstances, right? So we tend to rely on these very quick, very fast, very erroneous dispositions. Um, it almost seems unrelated, but this book that I remember reading uh, the Millionaire Next Door. I thought it was very interesting because they found out statistically and through interviews who these people are who have a net worth of a million dollars, meaning that everything you own subtract with what you owe 
is a million dollars, right? It doesn't mean you have a million dollars of cash in the bank or it doesn't mean you earn a million dollars a year. It's about net worth. Everything you own, what's in the bank, your home, you know, minus what you owe from the bank, loans and all that, okay? And as it turns out, the people who are real millionaires in terms of their net worth, you know, they have a lot of financial security, are not the people you would immediately spot based on what they drive, what they wear, how they behave, okay? And I thought that was very interesting because we oftentimes see people driving their fancy cars, right? Uh, wearing their fancy suits, and we just immediately assume that they're wealthy. Whereas we see someone else who might be a, uh, let's say, a contractor who fixes floors, installs carpeting, has a beat-up van, <laughs> kind of like ours. And they're always wearing dirty clothes, and you're thinking, wow, that person must be really suffering. But if you take random people who I just described like that, I'm willing to bet that the net worth of the contractor is going to be higher than the net worth of the person driving the fancy car. And that's what they found in their research, right? Because the people who are able to accumulate net worth are not people who are trying to gather attention. They're not trying to show off. It's not important that they show off that they ha have a high-status car, but in fact that they have financial security, right? And, you know, a car is just transportation. Why not just get a reliable, ca reliable car that doesn't break down? I don't need a fancy car just to go to work. I don't need a lot of fancy clothes, right? And they just buy what they need. They're, they might be penny pinchers, according to some, or, or come across as being cheap. And guess what? A lot of extremely wealthy people, if you were to meet them, can come across as very miserly with their money. Okay? Well, how do you think they got wealthy in the first place? By spending it all. Right? So that's a, that's a great example of how, on the surface, we can make that fundamental attribution error just simply by judging by what people drive. And I think in American culture, our automobile, we focus so much on our automobile and what we drive, it's an expression, you know, it's, it's a personal expression of who we are, right? So if I'm a powerful person, I need to drive a powerful car. If I'm a very, you know, thoughtful person, I'll drive a very thoughtful kind of economy car, right? It's an expression. If I'm outdoorsy, I better drive a four-wheel drive vehicle that can carry two big dogs. You know, it's an expression of our personality in America. But... The millionaires who have a million dollars of net worth, they're not into that, right? They, they're practical, and I think my wife and I, we fall into this particular camp. And I'm not going to tell you what our net worth is, because that wouldn't be nice. That wouldn't be fair, and you'll start hacking my bank accounts. All right. Anyway, I think I've made my point. So just to summarize, the challenge for you is can you be a situationist? It doesn't mean you'll be right most of the time. You know, maybe that person driving down the freeway at 100 miles an hour is still an idiot and just crazy, and you were wrong. They were not running late to an appointment. They were, they were not pregnant and need to go to the hospital, <laughs> you know. Uh, but I think, I think it's time for us to shut off the judgment machine and try to understand people. Try to understand, even if it's someone we don't know, 
What is their circumstance? So if a criminal commits a criminal act, is on trial, you know, does it mean that if I'm trying to understand their circumstances, does that mean that, that they have an excuse for not being guilty? No. Everyone has to take responsibility for their crimes. But maybe it helps for us to understand why a person behaves the way they do, besides just to come up with a very simple, quick, fast, easy um, judgment. Okay, you've been very patient. And again, I want to appreciate all of you for listening to my podcast for the past year. I just celebrated the one-year anniversary of beginning the podcast in April of 2020 during the pandemic. And I really am glad that uh, and thankful that mixed in with my current students who use some of these podcasts for their classes. Uh, but I think the vast majority of listeners are my non-students and have achieved over 100,000 downloads of the podcast. And I think that's, that's really cool. And so please reach out to me. Join my Discord group. Let's um, have a discussion. You can play a big part in where this podcast goes and what kind of topics are to be discussed. You know, I'm open to all kinds of ideas. Okay, folks, I want you to be safe, take care, and I'm looking for the record button to end this recording. And I'll talk to you next week. Hey there, thanks for listening to this podcast today. Can you do me a big favor? Um, just so that this podcast gets heard by more students of psychology and other people interested in the field, uh, go to Apple Podcasts and put a little rating there if you like and uh, a brief uh, review, okay? And you can also contact me directly using the links in the description, whether it's Twitter or email, with any suggestions or feedback that you may have to make the show better. And uh, if there are any topics you want me to talk about, I can add them. And if you want to support me by buying me a coffee, the methods are listed in the description as well. Again, thanks and have a great day.